come to the reading of God's Word today, taking a look at the story of David and his son Absalom. I encourage you to turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 15 with me. We're just going to read the first six verses and then we will unpack the story together. 2 Samuel chapter 15 starting in verse 1. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road uh, leading to the city gate. And whenever anyone would come with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who who has a complaint or case would come to me and I would see that they receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you are seated, just another reminder, we are on a summer schedule for Kingdom Kids, which means we do not have Kingdom Kids today. And part of that uh, plan to have this Sunday off uh, is also because it coincides with our Lord's Supper Sunday. And so our brilliant and beautiful children's Kingdom Kids coordinator, my wife, Marcia Singleton, uh, planned that out so well. And uh, we do practice a, an open communion table here at First Baptist Kennedy, meaning you do not have to be a member of our church to partake of the Lord's Supper. But what we find in Scripture is that we do need to be Christians, obedient to the Lord in baptism. And so if that describes you, if you're a Christian and you have been baptized, then you are welcome to take the Lord's Supper at the end of service today. If you're not a Christian or have not yet been baptized, it's also a great opportunity just to reflect and think back on, you know, what does Jesus mean? What, what has Jesus done? Am I ready to accept, accept him to, into my life? Or am I ready to take that step of obedience and be baptized in the name of Jesus? And we will have a time of invitation right before the Lord's Supper. If, the, if those are things you'd like prayer for or whatever the Lord lays on your heart, uh, there will be an opportunity to, to pray together. I'll be down front. You can come to the front and pray or you can pray where you're at. But that's a little bit of just a word about Lord's Supper today that we'll be partaking of at the end of service. Let's begin uh, with a word of prayer as we take a look at the story of David and his son Absalom. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come into this place and no two stories are the same. But there are themes in life that some come with heavy hearts, some come with great amounts of joy, some come with worry and fears, and some are thanking you for the blessing of security and provision. God, we go through these ups and downs, and it's hard to know even what the person in the pew behind us or in front of us or even next to us is going through, but you know. 
What a blessing it is to have a Father in heaven who knows, who knows our unique challenges, who knows our unique blessings. And so, God, I have that confidence as we come to your word that you're able to take what we discover in your word today or what we are reminded of in your word today, and you're able to apply through your Holy Spirit to the lives of a child or a teenager or a young adult or a young parent, a young couple, those who are empty nesters, those who will soon be empty nesters, those who are enjoying life as grandparents or those who are at that age but don't have grandparents yet, those who are retired, those who, God, are looking forward to any day now they may be in your presence, which in truth is all of us. God, you are able to speak to us, and that's what we ask through your word that you would speak to us. That our minds' attention would be given over to you. That all today's to-do lists, all the things that may grab our attention, that we're able to just set aside for a few moments and say, God, I give you my mind's attention. That the things that may be troubling our heart or grabbing our heart's affections, that, Father, we would pray even now as a church family, as a congregation, as those who have gathered here, we would pray. God, take my heart. Help me to give you my affections. Help me to love you because I know that you have loved me in Jesus. And for each of us, that as you show us what's in your word, that as scripture says, we would not just be hearers, but we would ready to take what we have heard and live it out. We would be doers of your word. That you prepare our hands and feet to go from this place ready to be obedient to you. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, none of us get through life without going through something like hurt. Each and every one of us are going to be hurt by someone at some point or another. Probably, perhaps, one of the greatest challenges is when we're hurt by somebody really close to us. When we're hurt by a loved one, maybe a family member or a friend. Uh, I remember one time my feelings got hurt in a conversation. I can't remember the circumstances. I just remember what was said. Marcia said of me, Matt used to be an athlete. My feelings were hurt, and I thought about that, and I thought, but yeah, I, I could still do a cartwheel after medication, uh, but we're all going to experience some hurt, certainly more significant than that, because in truth, she, was, she wasn't lying, okay? That's the truth. She wasn't lying. But it is particularly painful when we experience hurt from... A spouse, betrayal in some way can be one of the most hurtful things. It can be hurtful when we have a disobedient child. It can be hurtful when we have a friend who gossips about us. It can be hurtful when we have a judgmental parent. There's something uniquely painful that we have to acknowledge that those who love us most can sometimes hurt us the deepest. We are the ones. Sometimes we love someone so much and yet we are the source of hurt. 
None of us wants to be that. No, none of us wants to experience that. But that is a reality. We all are going to be hurt by someone we love. And it is, can be, one of the deepest pains we can experience in this life. David does some things in his experience of pain at the hands of his son. And he doesn't do some things when he experiences betrayal by his son Absalom that I think can be helpful to us. And so I want to take a look at this story with that lens. How does David respond to this? There's no word that quite captures it, but betrayal, heartache that he experiences due to his son. What do you and I do? What can we learn from David that you and I can do when we experience hurt from those we love? Friendly fire, right? I'm not talking about enemies at the moment. I'm talking about those closest to you. One of the first things I think we have to be able to do is focus in on the love we have for the person in front of us. Now, David's son Absalom was an angry man who had become embittered to the point that he would try to steal his father's kingdom away from him even if it meant to murder his own father. Now that is the deepest cut you could imagine, I think. Now where did that come from? Absalom had a brother that was indeed a half-brother, same father David, different mother, named Amnon. Amnon took advantage of his full-blooded sister, Tamar. And he saw that his father didn't do much of anything about it, although David was certainly angry about the situation. And and Absalom begins to plot and to plan quietly how he is going to get back at his brother. In some ways, if we want to talk about hurt and pain at the hands we love, one of the things we can learn from Absalom is all the things not to do. And one of the things he does is he hangs on to the hurt and the pain. It becomes bitterness to him. And he begins to have this vision of how he can get, how he can get back at both Amnon, the one who took advantage of his sister, and his father who did nothing about it. But what is amazing is that David saw the sins of his sons and he still loved them. He knew that they had made major life decisions that were, to say the least, disappointing. Terrible evil, in fact. And yet he still chose to love them. You see this in the way that he mourns, both from... When Absalom finally does take the life of Amnon, his brother. And you see it also when Absalom himself dies in battle. That David weeps for them. Though they are flawed, though they are sinners, they are still his children and he loves them. And he weeps for them. He longs for them and he weeps for them. You see in 2 Samuel chapter 14 verse 1 that because of Absalom's uh, decision to take the life of his brother, Absalom is on the run. And King David 
His heart goes out to his son. He still loves his son. We find that in 2 Samuel 14, 1. One of his trusted advisors and military leaders, Joab, says that he knew that the king's heart longed for his son Absalom. Right before we read the very same thing in chapter 13, verse 39. King David longed to go to Absalom. Eventually, the two are brought back together in some way. It's not ideal. There's still distance. There's still space in the relationship. But when they finally come back together and they're in the same room together at the end of chapter 14 of 2 Samuel, we read that the king kissed Absalom. It's very easy for us when someone we love has hurt us to get fixated on the hurt. To be consumed by that hurt. To let that hurt turn into bitterness and hate and revenge. Very easy for that to happen. I think something that David shows us is a better way than what Absalom chose. And that was to choose to love. He loved his sons even in their failures. Even in their evil wickedness. He still chose to love them. Now, this is easier said than done, isn't it? If someone has truly wounded you deeply, this is much easier said than done. One of the things that we have at the center of our faith that helps us to love those who we find hard to love is to know that God loves us when we are hard to love. It's the promise of Ephesians 4, 32. Christ, God, just as in Christ, God forgave us. In Christ, God forgave us. How does the verse begin? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. All of those are language or words that are the language of love. These are all loving acts. Kindness is a loving act. Compassion is a loving act. Forgiving is a loving act. Love others, you could say, just as in Christ, God has loved, forgiven you and me. At the center of our faith stands one, Jesus, who has loved us, not because we were lovable, but he has loved us in the midst of our unloveliness. Romans 8, or Romans chapter 5 says it like this in verse 8 and verse 10. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, Jesus. What is that telling us? You don't have to clean up your life to come to God and to be loved by him. Isn't that good news? You don't have to clean up your life. To be loved by God. To come to Him. You don't. And yet, isn't it hard for us to hold that same standard? We want someone else to clean up their life. Fix their problems. Become perfect. Become something we're not. To become perfect before they warrant our love. Our first thing that we can learn from the mistakes of Absalom And the ways in which David in this situation got it right is when we are hurt by others, choose to love. Not feel love towards them. Sometimes you cannot control that feeling. 
Feelings come and go. Love is a choice. It's a decision. I'm going to choose to be loving towards this person. Note what it says in Ephesians 4. It says, be kind, be compassionate. Choose to forgive. These are decision-making words. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote that to the church in Ephesus, he's not saying, when you feel up to it. When you're in a good mood. He says, no, choose. Choose to love. Choose to love those who hurt you. And when it becomes very difficult to do so, remember, there is no greater hurt than anyone could cause than for us, God's creation, to sin against our Creator. And yet God chooses to love us so much so that He would send Jesus into the world to die for us, for the very sins that have hurt Him. That's the first thing. Now you may hear that and you may think, well, that means I'm just going to become a doormat. Anybody that wants to hurt me, I just got to love them. And I can't, say, I can't do anything about it, I can't say anything about it, blah, 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 blah. Understand that's not what I'm saying. This is a much bigger discussion that we don't really have time for today. But I do want to see what happens in the story. David doesn't let Absalom just get away with everything. He doesn't let Absalom have his plans enacted. He does make good decisions to limit the amount of harm his son Absalom can do to him and his kingdom. To love someone is not to be a doormat, to let them walk all over you. That would be in many ways unwise. But it does get a little confusing here. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about what David did. First of all, David retreated from battle. He did not stand there when he knew that if he stayed in Jerusalem as Absalom is coming back to the city after he had rallied his troops, after he had stolen away uh, Ahitophel, which was David's most trusted advisor. Joab was more of a le- military leader. but Ahitophel was, was a, a wise advisor. And, and then we find in, this, in these chapters that both... David and his son looked at Ahitophel and said, this guy's advice is like the advice of God. And Absalom is able to get Ahitophel on his side. He's able to muster an army and he is coming into the city of Jerusalem to take the kingdom by force. David doesn't just throw up his arms and say, well, got to love him. He's my son. If he wants to take the kingdom, it's up to him. We'll just sit here and take it. No. He gets out of the city. He protects himself. He's also protecting the city. We read that. David knows if he comes, we're not prepared. They will overtake us. Not only that, but our city, which we love, is going to come under attack. I love these people. And I love myself enough to get out of town. And to regather and to come back. Now, another thing he does is that he takes another advisor and says, look... I trust you, go back to my son Absalom and tell him, listen, you know, you're king now, so I'm on your side. Forget about David. And then I want you to confuse and frustrate all of Absalom's plans. In this way, uh, David's being shrewd. He's being wise in his decision making. What he's not doing is letting his son have his way and continue to harm him. And his kingdom. Now, I think this gets a little confusing. Because Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Right? 
And we see Jesus, when he is being crucified, he's silent. As a lamb goes before the shears, the scripture says. He says nothing. And so it can be a little confusing here to figure out, okay, when someone is doing evil towards me, when do I need to stand up for myself and when do I need to just be passive in a sense? I think one of the things that's helpful here, it doesn't resolve all this tension. I'm going to talk about how we deal with that in a second. It doesn't resolve all the tension, but it is, I think, helpful. It's to understand the difference between hurt and harm. That hurt and harm are not the same thing. I may hurt you, but I did not do it intentionally. It's not some kind of pattern. And there's no long-term effects. I may bump into you in the grocery store. And I may smush your finger against the cart with my cart by accident. And I've hurt you, haven't I? But have I truly done harm to you? Did I maliciously try to injure you? Do I do that every time I see you in the grocery store? That's a weird example. That'd be a little little strange. I get it. But you understand, there is a difference between hurting and harming. And oftentimes when we are hurt someone, we need to just forgive them and just let it go. But if we're harmed by someone, I think some of the things David does to protect himself is wise of us. Not to allow that person to continue to harm us. That can be confusing, right? It's not always clear. When do I just need to let things go, forgive someone, and move on with my life? And when do I need to put up some guardrails so that they cannot continue to harm me? And the best thing, the best advice I can give you is to pray and seek godly counsel. You will see that throughout the story of David, that he cries out to God and he seeks the counsel of those around him. I think that is wise advice for us. When someone we love in our life is hurting, or maybe we're not sure if it's hurt or harm, how do we sort that out? I think we would get a long ways down the road of figuring out that answer if we were to pray about it and if we were to seek godly counsel on how to handle those kinds of situations. One of the things we find that David does is he prays, and that prayer is recorded for us in Psalm 3. If you want to turn over there, you can, but I'm going to read a little bit of it for you. Right in the midst of this, in fact, uh, we assume that this is taking place when David leaves Jerusalem, as his son Absalom and his most trusted advisor Ahithophel are marching into the city to take it over, that somewhere during that journey out of the city, David pens these words in Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Remember what we read, right? That Absalom had stolen the hearts Of the people. Verse 3. But you Lord are a shield about me. My glory. And the one who lifts up my head. I love that picture. See what David's doing. He is entrusting himself to God. You are my protector. Sometimes we don't even 
pause to think about whether someone's harming us or hurting us. We just react, right? We don't trust God to be our defender. We just react. David's showing something to us in prayer. How do we sort this out? We're not going to be a doormat, but hurt and harm aren't the same thing. How do we sort this out? I think David's showing us we pray. And what should be the content of our prayer? It should be a prayer that is trusting. God is my shield. He's my glory. He is the most important thing to me. Glory means weightiness. It's to say, God, you are the most important thing. My kingdom is not the most important thing. My crown is not the most important thing. My life is not the most important thing. You are the most important thing to me. The one who lifts my head up high. Everything else may fail, but God, you are the one who can lift my head up high. He says, I call out to the Lord and he he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep and wake again because it's the Lord who sustains me. What are the things we turn to when we've been hurt or harmed? What do we do? How do we medicate ourselves? We zone out watching TV. We eat too much. We drink too much. David says, That's, it's the Lord who sustains me. He's the one that's seeing me through this. He's the one that is giving me what I need to face what's in front of me. Verse 6, he says, I will not fear. Though tens of thousands assail me on every side. And he says, arise, Lord, deliver me. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Now that leads us into the third thing. Notice what David prays. He says, Lord, you're going to deliver me. I want you to be at work against my enemies. I'm trusting you to be my defender. I'm trusting you to get me out of this mess. What's he not doing? He's not taking matters into his own hands. In other words, he is not seeking revenge. And that would have been a very easy thing to do. Just like Absalom did, right? When Absalom discovers that his sister's taken advantage, been taken advantage of by his half-brother, he takes revenge. He has him killed. David doesn't do that. David doesn't seek revenge against his son. In fact, again, you hear the theme of love. He says in 2 Samuel 18.5, he knows that they're about to go into battle against Absalom. And he knows that they're going to have the victory. He has that confidence. So you would wonder, well, what's going to become of his son? Listen to what King David does. He goes around to his commanders in 2 Samuel 18.5. And this is what he says to his commanders. He says, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And then the scriptures record that all the troops heard the king giving these orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. Now, if that was Absalom, or you or me, maybe we say, take Absalom out. Make him pay for what he's done. He's not only killed my son, Amnon, but now he's taken over my kingdom. Get rid of him. That's not what he said. He says, be gentle 
sometimes, let me just pause and say this. Sometimes you, when you read the Bible, if you're in this reading plan with us, I hope you are. If not, jump in. It's never too late. Feel the weight of emotion that's happening here. Think of what it really must have been like for David. And think of the tenderness. I just, I just think of it like the tenderness that was possibly in his voice when he said these words to his commanders. Be gentle with my son. Be easy with him. Romans 12.9 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. So David models for us in his prayer. He says, take care of my enemies. But in his practice, when it comes to his son, he says, be gentle with him. In our prayers, we can say, God, someone has hurt me. Deal with them. But I need to be loving towards them. Deal with the evil. Yet do so in love. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like Jesus to me. What is Jesus doing on the cross? He's dealing with our evil. How is he doing it? He's doing it in love. As always is the case, Jesus is our model. The king did not take out his wrath on his son. Rather, his desire was for his son to be treated gently. One of the greatest scriptures found in the Old Testament that tells us what Jesus would do. Not by name, but it's become known as a passage that regards uh, the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, a few verses of it. We hear Jesus about Jesus in these verses. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. What what is David doing? He's saying, Absalom, I'm not going to pay. I'm not going to make you pay for your sins. Now, anytime you don't take revenge and make someone pay for their sins against you, you know what you're doing? You're paying their price. You're paying the price. You have to deal with the hurt and the pain without lashing out. But you see, that's what. That's what Jesus is doing for us. It says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Lord makes his life an offering for sin. Rather than revenge... Though the word is not present, it is obvious. There is at least some semblance of forgiveness. If there wasn't, I think David would have had Absalom killed. But because he loved him, he forgave him. And because he forgave him, he wanted his son to be dealt with gently. Now we know the end of the story. And even against his wills, his son is killed. And at that moment that he finds out his son is killed, he weeps bitterly. You and I are not going to get through life without being hurt or harmed, even, by the people we love the most. I wish it didn't happen, but it does. If it hasn't happened yet, not to be a negative Nelly, but 
It's probably going to. And the truth is, you and I, often enough, are going to be the ones that hurt others that we love. How can we deal with this? I think in some ways David shows us the way. That person that you've been thinking about since we started this message, that name that's been running, that face that's been coming across your mind's eye, can you choose to love them? With God's help, you can. Have you asked God to help you? Would you be willing to do that? It's a good thing to think about before we take the Lord's Supper, y'all. You don't have to be 100%. You just have to ask God. God, help me love them. Have you considered whether or not this is simply a hurt you need to let go or is this harm? And maybe you need God's wisdom to show you how do you need to protect them from harming you further? Not to punish them, not to cut them out of your life, but to be wise. And to love yourself as scripture actually does command us to do. Maybe it's been hard to do those things and those thoughts of revenge are in your mind. You know, it's really easy to win arguments in your mind. Like I do it all the time. Like I'm just, I'm a pro at winning argument that's just happening in my brain. We plan out that vengeance in our brain. Think of all the things we want to say or do in our mind's eye and we just come up with all it's very possible maybe that has taken its grip on you and you feel it. What would it look like to forgive them? I know it's not easy. I, I know it's not easy. But don't forget, you and I are great sinners. We really are. Like if we were giving out gold medals, we would be tied with the other several billion people on the planet. We are gold medalist sinners. We have all failed. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God looks at us, not ignoring our sin, but seeing our sin and loving us anyways. Not just I love you in words only, but to say I love you so much I won't leave you in this state. I will send my son to die for you that you might be forgiven. Why? Why does God care if we're forgiven? Because he wants to be with us forever. Starting that moment, we decide that I trust Jesus to forgive me. From that moment on, God is with us. And he can't be with someone whose sins aren't forgiven. He loves us enough to forgive our sins so that we can be with him. Now, that may not always be possible in your life with someone you love who is bent on doing you harm, but you can still choose to forgive. Knowing that the worst sinner you know should be you because you're the one you know the best. So if you're at all self-aware, you should know the worst sinner I know is me. And yet God has forgiven me. How, God, can you help me to know that truth and forgive that person that has hurt or harmed me? It's challenging stuff, but there is such freedom here. There is such freedom here to hold on to hurt, 
to let anger grow, to become bitter, to choose vengeance, that is a prison. But to let the love of God wash over you, the forgiveness of God reminds you, that is freedom. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you now grateful for, God, just the incredible stories we find in Scripture. That you have recorded the history of your people in a powerful way. That you did not hide the dark little parts of the story of Israel. But you let us see that even the great King David fails like we saw last week. And even his family fails like we see here. And God, we fail. We fail at loving people that are hard to love. We fail at forgiving people who don't technically deserve our forgiveness. May God help us to come to this moment right now and look to you and ask you to help you, help us do what we could not do on our own. To ask you to help us to do what we have been unable to do on our own. To love, to draw wise boundaries, and to forgive. You know how hard that is for us. And so you know that we need your help, not just once. One-time prayer is not enough. We know that this is just, for some of us, it's just the beginning of this journey of finding a way to deal with the hurt or the harm others have done to us. But help us to start that journey with you today, right now. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus.